Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Our study brings us to 2 Kings chapter 16. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Eleth for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Eleth, and the Edomites came to Eleth, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of Yahweh and in the treasures of the king's house, and sent a present to the king of Syria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. When king Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw that the altar that was at Damascus, and king Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern, exact in all its details, and Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that king Ahaz had sent from Damascus, so Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar, and went up on it, and burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and poured his drink offering, and threw the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. And the bronze altar that was before Yahweh he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of Yahweh, and put it on the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering, and the evening grain offering, and the king's burnt offering, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, and their grain offering, and their drink offering, and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. So King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands and removed the basin from them, and he took down from the sea from off of the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a stone pedestal, and the covered way for the Sabbath that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance for the king he caused to go around the house of Yahweh because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. So we're looking in the 730s BC for when the reign of Ahaz begins over Judah. He's just 20 years old. He gets to reign for 16 years, which, considering we're adding him to the list of evil kings over Judah, 16 years is a a long reign. Now, 
I said we're adding him to the evil list. We don't actually have that word evil show up in the Hebrew text here for us. He did not do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. But I think this is still easy enough to go ahead and put him there, even though that word evil is missing. Uh, it's the first I can recall. The other kings, it was always said. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. So following the pattern of misleading God's people, leading them into pagan worship practices. Our author then chalks up something grotesque that Ahaz, as one of those pagan worship practices, sacrificed his own son, burned him. This was a practice of a couple of the gods of that era in that time period, that, that region. So Molech and Kamash are a couple of names there. Just a, well, not good thing. Honestly, our culture revels in this same sin today. Um, the god of sex that we, we champion and triumph has led to the sacrifice, the offering up of, by estimates I've heard, at least 62 million children over the last 50 years or so in our own culture. So we have our issues with this one, without a doubt. Now, they were, those false gods, were a part of the promised land prior to Israel coming in. God drove those peoples out. Israel was not supposed to let these pagan beliefs remain. And yet they did. The pagan practices of the neighboring nations get copied. Just like everything else, right? I mean, you think back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and the idea of Israel demanding to have a king so they can be just like their neighbors. Well, now they're trying to be just like their neighbors in, in the way they worship. And we see that even as King Ahaz, later in the chapter, is going to build an altar of a false god right there in front of the temple, right there in front of the house of Yahweh. We'll come back to that. One of the things you could talk about with your children on that note, though, what worldly things do we Christians often do? So here we're seeing Israel, in this case specifically Judah, the people of God, though, the holy people of God, following the pagan practices and beliefs of others instead of devoting themselves to Yahweh. What are some examples of things that we do that are not godly? Even as Christians, what do we do? It's an easy chance to talk about the idols that you see in your family, the idols that you see in your community, the idols that you see in the land in which we live. However you want to phrase that, there are many. There are many things that the Lord forbids us to do that we do anyway. Verse 5, we see that Rezin, king of Syria to the north, and Pekah, uh, king of Israel to the immediate north, both fight against Ahaz. They besiege Jerusalem, but they don't overcome it. This is the context for Isaiah chapter 7. 
Isaiah has just been called into the office of prophet, and he is sent to speak to Ahaz. So we see in the beginning of that chapter, it's mentioned Rezin and Pekah have come up against them to wage war. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. That's verse 2. So God sends Isaiah. Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God is, God is giving him the opportunity to ask for anything he wants to be a sign from God that God will protect Judah, that God will care for his people. Ahaz refuses, so then you get the virgin birth sign that we so often and rightly connect to Jesus himself. This is still a twofold prophecy, though, there in Isaiah 7, something that's fulfilled in that context and then fulfilled greater later in Christ. And so what we have in the immediate context could be a reference to his son Hezekiah, uh, that the, the mother of Hezekiah at that time was living in the house of Ahaz but had not yet had a child. Uh, the Hebrew word alma is a little bit more flexible here. It can refer to a young maiden, so a virgin, as we think of, or it can refer to a young woman who has not given birth. Now, rightly, we connect this to Jesus because God does, right? Emmanuel means God with us. But we specifically see in the Gospel of Matthew that note picked up on Matthew brings this out and tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. So an immediate thing, maybe somebody like Hezekiah, because it reads onward that the boy will know how to refuse evil and choose good. Before the boy knows how to choose good and knows how to refuse evil, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So God is going to destroy both Syria, and Israel before this child has grown up. That's why I say the immediate reference, probably somebody like Hezekiah. But the greater fulfillment is in Jesus. Someone in his house, his own house. And Assyria is going to be the one that does both of those things, destroying Syria and Israel. Now we see his response. We see, well, well, verse 6 is kind of thrown in there. Elath is a southern port city. Rezin destroys it and allows the Edomites to reclaim it. Ahaz goes out looking for assistance. He looks for help. And where does he turn? This is one you can talk about with your kids. Where should Ahaz have gone for help? And honestly, if you've already talked about Isaiah 7, help came to him and he turned it down. He should have gone to God. He should have turned to the Lord, but he didn't. Instead, he turns to the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, and builds an alliance, sort of, basically hires the Assyrian king to do his 
his work for him. With all the gold and silver that was in the temple, the house of Yahweh, and also the king's house. It's not the first time, not even the second time. This keeps happening. So, Assyria's king, Tiglath-Pileser, marches against Damascus, Syria's capital, takes that, kills the king, kills Rezin. We learn that here in verse 9. Ahaz is then perhaps invited by Tiglath to Damascus, and he goes, he sees the altar. This would be an altar already to the Assyrian god by the name of Ashur, A-S-S-H-U-R, which might be connected there to the name of the nation. And King Ahaz likes that altar and wants one of his own. So here's the coveting thing. You can talk about the ninth and 10th commandments. Um, in addition to the fact that he's worshiping other gods, he sends a model of it, the exact details of it, back to the priest Uriah to build for him. There's a question. Should Uriah the priest have done this? Not at all. Not only is the king faithless, so is the priest. The priest is going right along with the pagan worship practices of the Assyrian false god. Ahaz makes his offerings on that altar. He removes Yahweh's altar. So the bronze altar that stood in between the entrance and the temple is taken out of its proper place and it's moved to the side. And probably, literally, you could say it's moved to the side. So if you're looking at an overview picture of the temple, the temple faces to the east, and as you would be leaving out of the temple itself, the bronze altar would have been there in front of you. So now, instead of that, there in front of you as you leave, you would have the altar of Ashur, the false god, sitting there, and then to its north or to the left, if you're viewing it from the, the door of the temple, there you would see off to the side, to the left, to the north, the actual altar for Yahweh. And Ahaz commands that all future offerings be done on Ashur's altar. He's going to keep the altar of Yahweh, which he doesn't say Yahweh here, notice that, to use for inquiring. I can't say this is inquiring of Yahweh. I know commentaries suggest that that's a possibility here, but we see nothing in Ahaz's life that indicates he even believes that Yahweh is God. There's nothing here or in Isaiah 7 that indicates that. Rather, he seems to be truly faithless and only worshiping pagans, pagan gods. So, just so you know, it's out there, the idea that perhaps he's mixing religions together. I think more likely is the idea here that he's using that for divination. So the major offerings are happening on the big altar, and then the the animal parts that would be used for practices of divination get removed before the burning, and they get separated out, they get put on the smaller altar, where Ahaz can then do his pagan divining rituals that he may have set up as well. That strikes me as more likely. And Uriah the priest is on board with it all. Not good. Not good at all. And lastly, the note about him we see, he actually modifies 
God's house. He makes physical changes to the temple. And as we see it, right, it's right there in verse 18, because of the king of Assyria, he physically changes the temple of God in order to please Tiglath-Pileser. After his death, his son Hezekiah will reign in his place. We don't even get to move on to Hezekiah next. Instead, we will double back tomorrow. We return to the land of Israel as they near their demise.